0: big things to happen. We, we, come, we come into church today and we expect big things to happen. And I, and I, want, and I want you to know this before I get into uh, some of it. It's, it's, it's pretty intense. Uh, some of it may hit hard. Um, and, and, and that's just me being honest. I want to be honest with you all. Uh, but me also being honest with you, this, this comes a lot from what I struggle with Daily. Uh, I, I was kind of frustrated with Steve when he gave me this subject because there's just so much that I could talk about. And, and I, you know, I have <laughs> this much time, you know. Uh, but there, there's, there's so much I could talk about because this subject is so huge in my life. Um, it, expecting big things to happen. How do I walk into this room on Sunday mornings and recognize the presence of God? How do I walk into this room and recognize the presence of God? So let me tell you a story uh, before I get started. Um, it's it, it's from back when I was leading worship at a, at a church while I was in college. It was called College Wesleyan Church. It was on Indiana Wesleyan's campus where I was studying. And I led worship there for about two years. Uh, it's a church of about 2,000, uh, and uh, it had three different venues. So there was one, it was called The Gathering. It was more of like a artistic venue, I guess you could say, um, and we would you know, paint on the walls, or uh, we had ukuleles and banjos and whatnot. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then, then there, there was two services of that. Then the main service was uh, the sanctuary, or the worship center, whatever you would like to call it. There was a traditional service, first service, and then second service was more of a blended kind of a thing because the more contemporary stuff was in the gathering. And then the third service was the liturgical liturgical service, it was in a different venue um, and and after a long long time of of thinking and praying and uh, and talking and discussing, the church leadership decided that that needed to change uh, that needed to change and they decided this because why are we spreading out the body of Christ? Why are we not worshiping in one space why are we why are we taking taking our congregation and spreading them out rather than Let's all worship as one body in one place. Obviously, they didn't have enough room in their sanctuary, so it was three services—the same service, all the same kind—and they would they would bring in elements uh, of each of each uh, different venue into into the one main service. And the and the day they announced that, I was actually leading worship that day, and I was talking with uh, the worship pastor at the time. Her name's uh, Emily Vermilia. She's an incredible lady she uh has a doctorate in worship ministry she's holy cow uh, she's incredibly smart and uh she she was talking to me and one of the producers cuz we were trying to hash out some of the logistics of the service or what was going on and and a young man came up to her and, and started complaining and grumbling like well this is a terrible idea i can't believe you did this uh this this is a terrible decision i can't why why are you guys doing this like this This doesn't make any sense this is, this is a terrible idea and she she just listened. Uh, she listened to him, she uh, stood there and, and, and took it and um, smiled and and politely and calmly said back to the young man, "What makes you think that this is about you?" And that hits hard. <laughs> Because I know in my life i I stand up here and I think, man, this would sound really cool in this song, or I really wish that we could do this," or I really wish that this would happen what makes this what makes me think that this is about me and And the way she said it to him was so graceful and 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 calm i I, I wish i I wish I had that kind of Personality and I, I wish I could do that the way she she the way she did it was amazing uh, amazing to see but again those words are so hard what makes you think this is about you oh my goodness how do you take that um, but what what makes us think that church is about us? Jim came into my office one day last year and he had something that he got in the mail about uh, some curriculum or something like that uh, and, he, and he showed me uh, he showed me what it what the mail mail insert said or whatever, it said, show me, wow me. Um, We laughed about it for a moment, but we were, to be honest, we were both pretty disturbed by it. How has the American culture uh, of entitlement and consumerism become so saturated into our church? It's it has become so saturated into our church. I find myself walking into church buildings uh, in, a, in a, such a critical mindset. You know, I have four years of worship training uh, at school. So what? Why, why should I not walk into the room trying to recognize the presence of God? Uh, Robert Weber says in the first page of his book, Worship is a Verb. The focus of worship is not the human experience, not a lecture, not entertainment, but Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. One of the biggest lessons that Jesus teaches is is his uh, teaching on prayer, the Lord's prayer. And, And one of the lines in the prayer goes like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. Uh, Your kingdom come. How do we as Christians begin to develop a kingdom-minded outlook on our lives or for the church? How do we walk into this room with a kingdom mind? Hebrews 12, 1-3 says this, Therefore, since we we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders the, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God, I pray that uh, these words would not be mine, that that you would speak through me. Uh, Lord, we expect big things to happen this morning. We expect big things to happen. Maybe it may, might not happen in this room. Uh, maybe it'll happen in this building or maybe even outside these l- walls, but Lord, we trust you and, and we know that, that your presence is in this place. Lord, I pray that... that we would we would see your guidance and and listen and and be silent uh, in all of our creator in your name amen the main text that we'll be reading out of today is Luke 13 uh, Luke chapter 13 18 to 21 and if if you're turning there or flipping there in your uh, phone or whatever um, b- before I read it, I want to I want to lay out some of the uh, some of the things that are happening beforehand Jesus has been Luke Luke has been laying out a lot of parables of Jesus. He's been teaching uh, through stories. And these parables have have kind of piled up uh, in, in the book of Luke. And one of the big things that's happening is he's actually teaching to his disciples and, and crowds around him. But the Pharisees are there. Every time they're there. And they're hearing what he's saying. And this is big because he's kind of teaching his disciples, but he's actually kind of talking to... The Pharisees at the same time. Jesus is is pretty incredible with his his teaching in that way. Uh, So let me read this, starting verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. What is the kingdom of God like? It's a huge question. A question that a lot of people try to answer because we really have no idea. We really have no big idea. There are seven different parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God. And and this this one in particular is actually considered too the parable of the yeast and and the mustard seed. But seriously, have you ever considered what the kingdom of God is really like? I know there's been these different things like ninety minutes in heaven or heaven is for real, but but what is the kingdom of God really like? Revelation four eight. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. And was covered with eyes all around. Even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Isaiah 6, 2-3. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty the whole Earth is full of His glory. What is the kingdom of God like it 's full of believers worshiping it 's going to be loud it 's going to be exciting we're, it, you know it's, it's, it's not going to be this we 're floating on a cloud and there 's a bunch of babies and with wings <laughs> that, although that 's sometimes the weird picture that we get. Uh, it's going to be loud. We're going to be singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, to, and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I hope it's pretty obvious that I love the subject of worship. Um, it's my job, and uh, I've been a part of worship in some way since I ran sound for children's church in fourth grade. So it's kind of been... <laughs> Whether it's my brother leading worship or whatever it may be, uh, I've been involved in it. Uh, So it's a a huge part of my life. and, And my hope and goal in life is to reflect excitement for worship, not just through song, but in other ways too, to reflect excitement for worship to the people that God puts in my life. So, in order to be kingdom minded, we should be worshiping God in everything that we do. And in order to clarify, I want to. I want to first try and define worship, uh, and that's pretty much impossible. But I'm going to try. Um, so the the most clear and concise definition that I've that I've ever come across comes from a man named Robert Shaper. Uh, it, it's it's, it's shorter than a lot of the long, really long definitions of worship, um, so, so I, I love this one. Uh, it's, it's, he defines it as this, worship is the expression of a relationship, worship is the expression of a relationship in which God the Father reveals himself and his love in Christ and by his Holy Spirit administers grace to which we, we respond with faith, gratitude, and and obedience. Let me read that again. Worship is the expression of a relationship between us and God in which God the Father reveals himself and his love in Christ and by his Holy Spirit administers grace to which we respond in faith, gratitude, and obedience. So there are three things, three big things that I want to take from this definition that that I want to roll into this uh, today. The first is that he brings up the roles of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which I'm I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Uh, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. The the Trinitarian, the Trinity, the Trinitarian aspect of worship, Uh, one God, three persons. The second thing that I see is that worship is a verb. Now, I read, a, I read a quote from a book called Worship is a Verb earlier, but I believe that worship is a verb. It is an action. Uh, there, there are two key words in that definition to prove that. Expression and response. Expression of a relationship in which we respond in faith, gratitude, and obedience. And I know that I've said that before, that uh, I believe that worship is a verb. And, and why, why is it that our culture is so afraid of saying the words amen or hallelujah, we, we're, we're always afraid, oh, I don't want to get too charismatic. Um, when, when in reality, uh, there, there are times when it goes too far and, and it may get weird, but, uh, <laughs> but how, how are we to respond to God in worship? The words of God are coming uh, to us in worship, and how are we to respond? It's okay to say amen. It's okay to say Hallelujah. Those are things that, that happen because we are responding to the love that God is showing us. He's administering his grace to us by his Holy Spirit and revealing himself to us. Obviously, there's more to it than an amen, but how are we, res- how are we responding to God in worship? It's hard. It's real. It's emotional. Sometimes we don't feel like being here because we've had such a hard week uh, that, that you don't think you can uh, come here and... and Put on a fake smile. Um, Maybe no one, maybe so no one knows you're really tired and you've had a really hard week. I've had those for sure. Here's what I want to encourage you to do journal. When you come to church on Sunday mornings, bring your Bible and your journal. It may sound childish or girly. But, but the reality of the situation is that I've had my best moments of being truthful to myself when I'm writing it in a journal. I was challenged to write in a journal by a mentor of mine, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I thought it was stupid. Uh, but it led, it, it led me to truly see where I was in life at the time. It's kind of like making a pros and cons list. When you make a pros and cons list, you can see all your thoughts out on paper. You can be, you can be true to yourself when you're making decisions make a pros and cons list i know when kelly was deciding on what college to go to she had like 10 different ones with big pros and cons lists and i had like two so <laughs> but but it's 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 great to be able to see your thoughts written out because you can see it in front of you rather than you know i i i don't know i don't know about this you're not being honest with yourself the third piece of the definition Uh, the worship definition that I gave before is that God speaks first. Worship is the expression of a relationship in which God, not us. A lot of times when I walk into church, I find myself consumed in my own busyness or my own idea of busyness that I fail to close my mouth and listen. I find myself beating myself up over it after the service, and no matter, no matter what setting or church service I'm attending, I should come into the room recognizing that God speaks first. Going back to the Lord's Prayer, the first thing that Jesus says in the Lord's, in the Lord's Prayer is, Father, you are holy. Let your will be done. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. He says, Father, you are holy and let this will be done. So, let your will be done. So when we walk into this room, we should say, Father, you are holy and let your will be done. And then listen to God speak. And that's hard to do. <laughs> that's really hard to do because we, we come in from a busy situation. But but we should let God speak through the music, scripture, words, images. Let me read that that worship definition one more time. Worship is the expression of a relationship in which God the Father reveals himself and his love in Christ and by his Holy Spirit administers grace to which we respond in faith, gratitude, and obedience. The first point that I want to go back to is, is the Trinity. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is something that is, that is really hard to understand. I read, a, I read a book in school called Worship Matters. And the author Bob Coughlin wrote this. He said, regardless of what we think or feel, there is no authentic worship of God without right knowledge of God. There is no authentic worship of God without right knowledge of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ugh. God is so big and I have no idea. But... Let me make this clear. There's a difference between knowing and understanding. <laughs> There's a big difference. Because in, in this situation at least. To begin to know about God, we should recognize that there is one God in three persons. And, and let me try to make that clear. This is, this is hard and, and it doesn't make any sense. There is one God, one mindset, one center of self-consciousness made apparent in three persons or three modes of being. Let me say that again. There is one God, one mindset, one center of self-consciousness made apparent in three modes of being or persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't get it either. Uh, I'm just saying it. <laughs> no. uh, but in reality, one God, three persons, how does that make sense? How, it, I, I don't understand it. I really don't. But I do know that God is one God and three persons. And, and there's proof of this in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, and, and he's giving the great commission. Uh, and he says, go and make disciples in the name. Go and make disciples in the name of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't say names. Well, Jesus, you don't know anything about grammar. <laughs> no. It, that's on purpose. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's one, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, I know it's really confusing. Um, but one of the things that we, we fail to do in church today is, is, is recognize that there are three, not just two. Father God, in the name of Jesus we pray, there's one that's usually left out. So there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we often leave that out. Francis Chan actually wrote a book called Forgotten God about the Holy Spirit because it seems like we've taken him out uh, of of our beliefs, of our worship. It's an awesome book. I encourage you to pick that one up uh, if you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit it's, it's a huge part of our worship because God is working through us. He administers his grace by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the same God that we worship. Yes, we worship the Holy Spirit, and I know that's confusing. But if the Holy Spirit is God, then we were worshiping God in the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you all do y'all care if I give some proof for that? I mean, <laughs> I know it's like, What? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Um, Romans 8, 26, 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit helps us in... (laughs) Sorry about that. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. No one knows the mind of God but God, right? Then how could the Spirit know the will of God and not be God? The Spirit is God because he knows the mind of God. And there, there are there are two illustrations of, of the Trinity um, and one of them is is the one I've given before is Father Son and Holy Spirit that's that's the common names that we refer to them by uh, there's a second uh, version of it per se it's 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 more of giving their roles um, and that is creator redeemer and sustainer now something to understand here is is that, that that's not the only thing that they do uh, the the Something to think about is, here's, here's the way my theology professor put it. He said, the Holy Spirit primarily, but not exclusively, sustains. Primarily, but not exclusively, sustains. The Spirit administrates. The Spirit guides. And, and before we get too confused, because this is a crazy subject to, to try and talk about. Before we get too confused, let me say this. God is not about being practical. God is not about being practical. If he were, why would we need faith? I understand that there are countless things in theology that we really just don't understand. I know I have a lot of questions when I get to heaven. Um, but, but let's throw away this, this practical way of thinking when we walk into this place. When we walk into this room, let's expect something big to happen. Let's expect something big to happen. Robert Webber writes in his in his book, the one I uh, talked about before, Worship is a Verb. He said, "I'm convinced that God intends for our worship today to be accompanied by a powerful presence and working of the Holy Spirit." I'm not suggesting that the initial coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost wasn't unique. It was. In fact, it resulted in the beginning of the church as a historical and visible group. What I believe, and believe with all of my heart, is the possibility of a fresh visitation of the Holy Spirit's presence and power each time we worship. When we walk into this room, we, we expect big things to happen, and we experience the Holy Spirit, we experience God in a fresh and new way. Each time. Exodus 3, 4-6 says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Y'all, I believe we're standing on holy ground. And it's not because of this building or where this building was built But I believe that each time we walk into this room and experience the presence of God, we are standing on holy ground. We sing a song that says, the great I am. In that that account with Moses, God says, I am who I am. We experience the great I am in this place. This This place is holy ground. I believe that when we walk into our churches, we can experience God in a different way than we do on a regular basis. I live worship at a ministry in, in college, and uh, we we all left our shoes at the door because we believed that when we walked into the place of worship, we were standing on holy ground. Now, it, it, it may seem silly or uh, I, I don't know, but... It was so cool to see, you, you know, you, the first person leaves their shoes at the door, and then the second person, and without even telling people, they come in and expect something big to happen. So let me ask this question. Uh, what does a mustard seed have to do with me? <laughs> because, you know, I brought up this passage about a mustard seed. Well, what does this all have to do with uh, each other. Um, well, we all, we all know the idea behind it, you know, tiny seed, uh, tree. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, it's crazy. How does this tiny seed have enough within it to make a tree? Um, there's not enough material. And that's the point. God's not about being practical. How can one person share the gospel with 7.4 billion people in the world? They can't. But God can. God can. Romans 8, 9-17 says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies By the same spirit living within you. That's good news. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But through the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. You will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. We proclaim a belief that a lot of times we do not understand. But by faith, we know that we are to be co-heirs of Christ, of the glory of God. We are to be co-heirs with Christ, of the glory of God. So let's not let our practical nature get in the way of glorifying God. Since when was God practical? He made a tiny seed into a tree. One of the most important things that we can do for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is to pray for one another. And I don't mean, I'll pray for you, um, and that's it. I mean, actually pray for one another. So, this is a time of invitation. If you have come up on a storm in your life and it feels like there's no way around it, let's pray about it. Come up here or find a friend or elder or whoever. We're not in the business of practical prayers, we expect big things to happen. I believe that God can do big things. I expect him to do big things, whether it's in this room, outside in this building, or outside these walls. I expect God to move. The second invitation is to respond to the grace of God in baptism. Again, uh, come up here or or find an elder. Uh, We'd love to start that conversation with you today. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the guidance of your Holy Spirit We thank you for the love that you show us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that, we thank you, that you knew us uh, before the world was created. You knit us together in our, in our mother's womb. We thank you, Father, Creator. Lord, you are holy. I pray that we would throw away our practical mindset and begin to become kingdom-minded. That we would look to you. We would walk into this room and experience your presence in a different way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing.